0: This is ASHA Voices. I'm JD Gray. In healthcare, clinicians' productivity is measured closely. The requirements for that productivity are often in place to manage labor costs and ensure patients are receiving care. That is to say, they connect the business side of a facility with clinicians' workload and patient outcomes. How productivity is tracked and how much is required varies between settings and practices, but it is safe to say that these requirements have tremendous influence on SLPs and other health professionals as they treat clients. In coordination with and in promotion of the upcoming ASHA online conference, Empowered SLPs in Healthcare breaking barriers, and shaping solutions, we're taking a look at these productivity requirements. What can you do when you feel your productivity requirements are too high? Why do SLPs, OTs, and PTs seem to have the same productivity requirements in some settings and not others? What are the ethical obligations of healthcare administrators? These are just a few of the questions we ask our panel of healthcare administrators on today's episode of ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Hannon Center. Even with current public health precautions, we can still ensure that children receive effective communication support. Save 20% on resources that make the most of your interactions with children. Visit Hannon.org. Support for ASHA Voices also comes from the Medical SLP Collective the Medical SLP Collective, providing mentorship and evidence-based resources using their proprietary peer review process for SLPs in the medical world. You can sign up at www.medslpcollective.com. We're joined by a panel of SLPs who work in administrative roles in healthcare. Throughout their careers, they've acquired experience in a wide range of settings, from SNFs to private practice to hospitals. All three of our guests will participate in the upcoming ASHA online conference, Empowered SLPs in Healthcare, Breaking Barriers and Shaping Solutions, which begins June 2nd. Learn more at asha.org events. These three guests are Katie Holterman, Robin Cratchman, and Jolene Barbudis. Katie is Senior Director of Clinical Programming with Legacy Healthcare Services, a very large rehab agency. Relevant to this conversation, Katie also spent time as a director for multiple SLP departments for a hospital system. Robin is Director of Speech Language Pathology Programs at the private practice Speech and Hearing Associates. She's also President of the New Jersey Speech Language Hearing Association. Until recently, Jolene was a regional vice president for Encore Rehabilitation. In that position, she oversaw therapy departments in skilled nursing facilities and in home health. Jolene is now with Broad River Rehab, where she is regional vice president of clinical operations. I asked our panelists from an administrative perspective, how do they find balance between labor, cost, productivity, and the work of clinicians and patient outcomes? Jolene speaks first.
1: It's a very good question, and it's ever-involving. I think it's going to be different in every setting and not just skilled nursing versus hospital versus private practice, outpatient. Even within skilled nursing facility to skilled nursing facility, there are different dynamics different revenue mixes, different sources of expenses, and different patient populations. And so I think that understanding all of those factors in whatever environment that you're in and having a nice open conversation between clinicians and administration is going to help you strike the best balance that's most appropriate in any
0: setting. Mm-hmm thinking from the administrative perspective, what are some of the difficult decisions leadership must make when balancing patient outcomes and cost or productivity? What are some of the specific decisions?
1: I think it's going to vary by setting. Again, my experience is largely in skilled nursing and home health. And so, you know, I can kind of start there. But in skilled nursing, you know, you've got to look at Medicare to commercial insurance, payer mixes. You might have to look at contract structure between a skilled nursing facility and a contract rehab provider in terms of determining your usual revenue. And then you've got to look at what are the wages in the area. Geographically, there are some differences there based upon years of experience You know, there are wage guidelines that most companies set, and sometimes it may come down to an employer finding the perfect fit of an SLP with the perfect amount of experience for a specific population but you know perhaps the wage that they're asking just simply isn't inside of that company's wage guidelines or perhaps they are able to provide that person with the wages that they're asking for however it's got to come with a certain level of productivity so that they can afford it at the end of the day you know it's where does the money come from and where does the money go and once a person is hired if they're not able to accomplish productivity standards or goals you know, then that's when the conversations need to start happening about, you know, well, what's happening in your day and how can we maintain high levels of clinical services while still streamlining and, um, There are just situations where tests might need to be scheduled, phone calls to physicians might need to take place. Counseling of family members is absolutely huge, especially when visitation restrictions have been put into place. Spending time educating family members and just getting their input on the services, it's all very important. And so you know, at the end of the day, those conversations just need to be had and everybody's got to give and take a little bit while keeping the patients at the center of the conversation.
0: Recently on the podcast, we featured a conversation about the interprofessional collaboration that exists between psychologists and speech-language pathologists during cognitive rehabilitation. One of our guests is an SLP. Her name is McKay Solberg, and she mentioned institutional challenges. And I'm going to play a clip from her right now.
2: One of the barriers that's hard is more the contextual or institutional barriers that come from, you know, a medical setting that are really imposed sometimes by billing and what you get paid for or productivity demands where I might really want to email Bridget, hey, this is what the patient's saying, but I don't know whether this is more kind of brain-based or more reaction-based, psychological. How would you handle it if I don't have time and I'm not really encouraged to do that because it takes uh, time from my already large demands for documentation?
0: So there, McKay is talking about she would like to email Bridget, who's a psychologist. Do productivity requirements challenge opportunities for interprofessional practice, or how can clinicians make that work?
2: I think that it's a team effort. We expect our clinicians to be productive at a certain level, and we define what that is, and we assign certain productivity units to different kinds of services.
0: Robin Cratchman says that her practice values non-billable services, like the ones we were discussing, and she knows that patients value those services too. This idea relates directly to something Robin will say later in the episode, the patient comes first. And because in private practice, a facility's reputation is so important, Cratchman says the services need to be very good and make patients happy.
2: Certainly in private practice, Patients can go anywhere, so we need to be providing a really good service. So we see that it's, it doesn't count always as part of productivity from a billable standpoint, but certainly it should count, and it does from the point of view of how the clinician's time is spent. We're very much focused on making sure that the clinicians know that and have time for that.
0: How does that show up? How do you factor that in?
2: In terms of tracking it?
0: let's say that an SLP said, I did make these phone calls today. Is there a way that they're given some sort of credit for that?
2: Yeah, actually, when we calculate productivity, we consider both. And so we'll use average times for, say, therapies or different kinds of evaluations. And then we'll also give a certain amount of time considered towards their productivity for things like making phone calls, writing progress reports for insurance companies that has to be done in order for us to get paid, making calls to a family before an evaluation to get a little bit of information about the patient so we can be prepared, like all of that soft time that's really, really needed, or even calling a family after an evaluation and discussing the results and counseling the parent or speaking to the school therapist if a child that we're seeing in the private practice is also being seen in school. So all of those services we can't bill for, we don't get paid for them, but they're really important so that they are considered as part of the clinician's productivity numbers.
0: That's not true for every setting though, correct?
2: No, that's that's how we do it in our private practice. And again, it's partly because even though we're not getting direct revenue for those services, we see them as an investment in good patient care. And when we provide good patient care, then we will have more patients coming through our door and our business will be more
0: successful. Uh, Jolene and Katie, do you want to share experiences from your settings?
3: Yeah, I, I would like to just add on to a couple of things that Robin said. I think she made some great points.
0: Katie Holterman.
3: It's always interesting to hear from different settings, right, you know, to see how other people are looking at this, because it does vary from setting to setting, and thinking about that interprofessional practice question, having come from acute care, one of the most value-added activities that our therapists were doing was ICU rounds, and looking in an inpatient setting, and, and that is such a valuable piece of patient care, going in, working interprofessionally with physicians and respiratory, physical, occupational therapy, all of those staff members that are involved in patient care. But again, the payment system is a little bit different on an inpatient acute care setting than it is outpatient. So just switching same building, different setting inpatient to outpatient, that payment system is different. And so productivity is tracked a little bit differently from billable hours, but that interprofessional need is still really important. And I think that one of the things that Robin had touched upon was at the end of the day, those value-add, whether it's to enhance patient experience or enhance patient outcomes, those value-added services are so important and in many settings can be tied to a productivity calculation of some sort. It just varies setting to setting or even, you know, practice to practice. So I think from a clinician standpoint, asking those questions of how is productivity determined is really important and empowering for a clinician to see that other side of
0: things. Mm -hmm. You're saying either at the place that they're at or whenever they're looking at where they wanna go with their career.
3: Yeah, I mean, interviewing, You know, it, it would be key to ask during interviewing because you gain that sense, but for any clinician who wants to grow and learn about this a little bit, I think it's really valuable for, even if you've been in a place for years, sit down with your manager and say, hey, talk to me a little bit about productivity and how is it calculated and why is it calculated like that? Education and learning is empowering to me. So I would think that that would be, it's empowerment for everyone, I believe.
0: You just heard Katie mention the importance of using a job interview to learn more about your potential employer. If you're thinking of a career or career transition and see yourself heading to a skilled nursing facility, check out the June-July issue of the Leader Magazine. There, you will find a list of sample questions for potential employers. This list was compiled by members of the ASHA Healthcare Team and covers productivity, interprofessional practice, compensation, and more. Also, I just want to mention ASHA Voices wants to hear from you. Is there a question you want answered or a story you would like to share about your experience working in healthcare? Send us an email. Our address is podcast at asha.org. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we talk about what to do when you feel your productivity requirements are too high. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Hannon Center. Masks and other health precautions present a number of challenges for professionals working with young children. But even with these limitations, we can still make high-quality, responsive interactions happen. This Better Hearing and Speech Month, Hannon is offering tips, strategies, and special savings to help you overcome these barriers and maintain language-rich environments for children. Ensure all children receive the communication support they need. Learn more at Hannon.org support for asha voices also comes from the medical slp collective the medical slp collective providing mentorship and evidence-based resources using their proprietary peer review process for slps in the medical world do you need help with getting your medical director to agree to an instrumental want the latest information on how to appropriately assess your medically complex patient Need to learn more about a particular aspect of your job while earning ASHA CEUs? The Medical SLP Collective can help with that and so much more. Sign up at www.medslpcollective.com. I'm sure there's situations where SLPs might say, oh, I feel like I have high productivity requirements. How would you want them to start that conversation with a supervisor and administrator? If someone were to approach you, what would you want to hear them say? like, How can they self-advocate?
3: Jolene might want to chime in on this because I love her stance on the emotional part of it because I do think that it is an emotional response at times. But personally for me, I think somebody coming to me with that emotional response of, hey, my, my productivity seems so high and it's unfair and that kind of thing, it doesn't foster communication in the way that I think can be productive, for lack of a better word, pun totally intended. But (laughs) I think that if you come at it with an approach of, I'd like to learn more about this, and, you know, I want to make sure that my patient is successful and that I'm successful as a clinician, help me understand this, fosters that communication. And Jolene, if you have anything, any response on that, I love your your thoughts on these types of questions. <laughs>
1: Thank you. I loved your pun, by the way. That was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I would say advice to a clinician or any of our listeners happen to be in a management position or a blended administrative and patient care position, um, it would be have the conversation while your emotional response is still cool. I'm curious about this, I have a question about this, and not I'm angry about this. I feel as though I'm failing at meeting a standard, which is unfair. By the time you get to that point, there are many missed opportunities for conversations. And someone approaching their manager about productivity, I think a lot of times the conversation happens in reverse and a manager will approach a clinician and say, I noticed your productivity. It's not where it needs to be we need it to be here. And a clinician hears that and says, oh my gosh, I'm doing a bad job at something. I'm failing at something. Or maybe they know what the standard is because it was explained to them upon hire or at various points. And so they know in the back of their mind, okay, I'm not meeting this. Well, you've got to reconcile that. And so- You know, setting up a time to discuss productivity in advance, or if you're approached about it and you don't have your thoughts collected on it, saying, Hey, can we talk about this a little bit later on? And I want to collect my thoughts on this topic and get back to you. And then, you know, really knowing what are those things that you're doing which are not billable. So to Katie's point, if you don't know what goes into the calculation, definitely finding out is a great first point. But once you know, you might say, hey, I'm also completing resident satisfaction surveys and yes, emailing with the psychologist or the physician stopped in, the nurse practitioner stopped in and wanted to know what was going on with X, Y, and Z. And those were the types of things that I know you want me to continue doing, however... Just a very simple mathematical equation tells me that I can't be at the standard every single day if those types of things are occurring. How would you like me to communicate that to you? Or would you like me to prioritize differently? And again, a lot of times clinicians think absolutely everything is their responsibility, but maybe the company that you work for has a phenomenal Clinical education department, and they already have sample clinical pathways, sample medication management resources where you were generating those materials on your own, and they've already got them ready to go for you. There are some nuances there that I just think having a conversation with your supervisor to say, Here's what I'm doing. Do you want me to do it? And here's why it's important. I think it goes a long way and everybody keeping your cool and just open, open communication. And I mean, my advice is always have a conversation before you're at that point of a strong negative emotional response to the situation.
0: You all started your career as clinicians and you transferred into administrative roles. Can you tell me about what that was like for each of you? What did you learn from that experience? And how did it change how you viewed your work?
1: I started as an SLP in a hospital and I was just running around like crazy working at that hospital. I think there was a second position open <laughs> that had not yet been filled um, for quite some time. And so I was just I was very busy and productivity was never really a question or a concern because there was just so much to be done um, directly with the patients and not enough hours in the day. I think I was fortunate in a way to come up in that nonstop, always moving and multitasking type of environment. I then switched into a home health type of role where productivity is less of the employer's concern and more of just your own personal concern. And for that reason, I was always trying to find ways to be as productive as possible because you can get all of your visits done quickly, back to back, boom, 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 and then come home and finish all of your documentation. But maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe you don't want to be documenting in the evenings. And so you've got to you know, work that into your own visits that you're doing. And so, again, I was very lucky to have productivity kind of at the front of my mind, just for my own personal reasons. And from there, I transitioned into management roles and into working in skilled nursing. Once I started managing in skilled nursing and overseeing skilled nursing without directly having a full-time position as an SLP in a skilled nursing facility, I did have to go put myself to the test a couple of times, do evaluations or fill in a day here and there and see if it could be done from my management perspective. And that was interesting to see if I could get the job done in the amount of time that I was asking others to do. Now, fortunately, I had this sort of rigorous training on just how to be very productive in the other settings that I had worked in. And, you know, it worked to my favor. I, I did find that once I was subbing in in skilled nursing, I was able to be productive while I was in the facilities, but only because I had had practice at it. My management philosophy, and this is related to productivity, as well as just hundreds of other concepts, is no one is ever giving you a hard time, they're having a hard time. My natural response is to want to help those people by doing a root cause analysis and helping however I can. So in terms of transitioning from a clinician to a manager, that's how I view productivity struggles. I don't ever think Someone's milking the clock just to get more hours or not concerned with how healthy our business is. If they're not concerned with how healthy our business is, it's because I, as a manager or administrator, have not helped them to understand that aspect of it. When there's a challenge there, my goal is just to help everybody understand and feel good at the end of the day about what's available to them and why it's important.
0: That's a great lesson. Does anyone else want to share any takeaways they've had from moving from a clinician to into an administrative role?
2: Sure. So similar to Jolene, I also had uh, experience in several different kinds of settings before I became an administrator. I started out in a clinic setting where I did have to do back-to-back therapy over the course of an eight-hour day. So typically, I would see 16 patients in one day and remember just going home and being so Exhausted, and that perspective I think has stayed with me. So that, as Jolene said, sometimes checking in and seeing is can this be done as a manager, being sure that the requirements are realistic because I've lived it. I know that 16 in one day is just too much to maintain on a regular basis. I also worked in a hospital setting, and there it was more just seeing all the patients that had to be seen. As much as one could. And eventually I, I spent several years doing early intervention or home care. And under those jobs, I was actually being paid on a fee for service basis. And so I really started thinking in terms of productivity because I was being paid as much as I could see patients or go to people's homes. So I learned how to be efficient with my time and think in terms of the fact that my services generated revenue. So the combination, I think, of the Working as a fee-for-service clinician and having worked in a clinic where things, where the productivity requirement was a bit more than I could handle, I think makes me think in terms of how productivity can work best and sort of gives me a sense of how to schedule a clinician and make it so that they can be effective without being overwhelmed
0: Robin went on to explain that discrepancies between expectations and the clinician's productivity can sometimes lead to conversations that help clinicians improve their skills and grow. She describes it as a part of the learning process. And Katie adds to that, sharing from her experience talking to clinicians.
3: And a conversation that I often find myself having with therapists in general is, what are they doing that they're not capturing that could be captured as billable time or productive time. Mm. A lot of times we see clinicians doing treatment and not not billing for it, not capturing it in their note or capturing it in their billable time and helping clinicians recognize what actually is skilled at the end of the day that they're maybe not looking at Broadly enough, as, as far as they're not capturing it, it's not about looking at what can be productive or what we can bill the patient for. It's documenting what you are doing as a skilled therapist and making sure that your skills are, are being noted. And a lot of times, I find clinicians are not seeing what they're worth.
1: Katie, I've got to jump in too. And, you know, uh, we always say don't give your skills away it's not just about taking credit. It's about communicating accurately the amount of time that is required to complete a task because Medicare collects that data. We know that managed care increasingly gives less and less time. And so, you know, you can't just bill 30 minutes because that's what's on your schedule if you took 45 minutes with that patient. And it's a very important misconception to clear up. What does it really mean to give your skills away? Well, you're sort of giving it away for free and and our industry doesn't need any further compression so just accurately reflecting that time it's speaking to the people who are looking at that data and deciding how much time we say that we
2: need i think that's a really great point in terms of that if we're billing in terms of cpt codes and their speech codes are untimed codes so that even though we may spend 40 minutes versus 30 minutes, versus an hour with a patient, we're still billing one code that is going to get the same reimbursement. That makes it difficult sometimes because to reconcile, um, and we know we want to provide the service, but we can't always bill for some of the things that we do because the coding does not allow for it.
0: I'd like to read a few questions that we received from SLPs, make sure their voices are heard in this conversation as well. And so I have one, unfortunately, I don't have a name that I can associate with it, but I think this is a question maybe you've heard before or some variation of it. This is what the SLP wrote. Since SLPs are primarily billing service versus time, why are we held to the same productivity expectation as the other disciplines? So I'm sure this is a conversation you've heard before. OT, PT, SLP, what do you all think?
3: I love that question. (laughs) I love that question because honestly, I'll tell you why I love that question because I have asked that exact question years and years and years ago when productivity was first brought to my attention as far as a thing. I was working in the hospital setting. I was managing a department and my director was a PT and we used to have this ongoing joke of me always saying to her speech is different and she used to, it got to be this running joke where she would come up to me and go I don't want to hear speech is different I know you're different but at the end of the day there's this thought that PT and OT because they do they've kind of had this, it wasn't productivity necessarily, but the the timed code difference versus service-based code differences is something that feels like it sets us apart from the other disciplines. This is where we can take lessons from our counter disciplines. Because they use timed codes and because they live in that world, they're very familiar with making sure that they are looking at how much time is spent and what is captured under each code. And so I feel like that's where we can learn from them a little bit. And again, going back to asking how the calculations are done, are the productivity calculations in your setting the same for PTOT and speech? Sometimes it may feel like it, but you'd be surprised at how many times someone in an administrative role is, in fact, taking into consideration that there are service-based codes in play there. And it may, in fact, be that the the calculation is different. It just isn't being communicated properly. Asking those questions is really important.
0: I'm going to go ahead and play another question. I'm just going to let it roll.
3: This is Karen Copeland. I'm an
2: SLP and team lead at Ascension St. John in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm also an adjunct instructor at Oklahoma State University. Here is my question. Since many SLPs function in administrative roles, what are the ethical obligations rehab administrators have when managing productivity expectations in the workplace? I would say
1: that we as SLPs and potentially rehab directors, business owners, et cetera, we have the same ethical expectations that the clinician has. And so I think it's very important to choose your words wisely when discussing this topic, to use certain strategies like root cause analysis in order to help solve problems instead of giving absolute directives or one-sided communication. The patient comes first, period, in the ethical service delivery. There are millions of nuances to that, but we are all still clinicians. Whether your rehab director is a PT, OT, SLP, regardless, you know, ethical... Standards apply.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that you said it perfectly. The patient comes first, and we are guided by our ethics, our professional ethics, our license, our certification. And as administrators, that has to be forefront in our mind so that when we have conversations with clinicians who are actually providing those services, making sure that they understand that, yes, these are productivity guidelines or requirements that we're striving to achieve, but we don't ever compromise care because of it.
3: Agreed. And I I think I live by the mantra and I know that it's something that has always been ingrained in me and that I think should be ingrained in, in all of us um, in this field. You do right by the patient, and the rest will fall into place every time.
0: Can I thank all of you for your time today? I've really enjoyed this conversation.
3: Thank you.
2: Thank you, you, JD.
0: Do you have more questions for our panel? You can hear them soon, Register for ASHA's upcoming online conference, Empowered SLPs in Healthcare, Breaking Barriers, and Shaping Solutions. From June 2nd to 14th, this online conference looks at the complex challenges you face while working in healthcare. There will be presentations on moral distress and burnout, where health disparities can be spotted in telepractice, presentations from former ASHA Voices guests, Georgia Malindraki and Joshua Allison Burbank, and much, much more. Register now at asha.com org events. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Hannon Center. A lot has changed this past year, and that includes the way we work with children. But the Hannon Center has resources to help you keep language learning alive during COVID. Learn more at Hannon.org. Support for ASHA Voices also comes from the Medical SLP Collective. The Medical SLP Collective. Need to learn more about topics relevant to your practice while earning ASHA CEUs? Need coaching and mentorship with your job or latest project? Join them at www.medslpcollective.com. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.